This morning, again, we continue to read from the book of Kings, Second Kings. Chapter 3 is before us this morning, page 363 in our Pew Bible, 363. Second Kings 3, this is the Word of God. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from it. Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he had to deliver to the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, by which way shall we march? Jehoram answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the word of, the, of host lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hands. 
And then the translation will need to be changed and corrected, as I will explain in my sermon. And you will attack every fortified city and every choice city, but will fell every good tree and stop up all springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. This far will be the text of our sermon. The next morning, about the time of offering the, sacrifice, of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. When all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to put on armor from the youngest to the oldest were called out and were drawn up at the border. And when they rose early in the morning, and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. Now then, Moab, to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went forward striking the Moabites as they went, and they overthrew the cities. And on every good piece of land, every man threw a stone until it was covered. They stopped every spring of water and felled all the good trees, till only its stones were left in Kirharashet, and the slingers surrounded and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land." So as I said, the verses 1 through 19 will be our focal point in the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes, brothers and sisters, I hear the complaint that the Bible is so difficult. It's so hard to really get access to its many stories and histories. Especially the Old Testament, it seems, offers so little that has clear application to today. No wonder many people leave it closed. Especially people who have not grown up with it, feel inclined to put it aside. That's old stuff. The history is past. Let's see what we can find for us today in our service to God in the New Dispensation, in the New Testament. He holds up to us people of like fashion, So God is speaking to us from both the Old Testament and the New, from the stories and the histories. He is speaking to us today nonetheless. 
For we are in peop- indeed people like they were. Similar inclinations. And he exposes us to our sins. To our inclinations. Hence he does have something to say to us today. A message of great importance. It's a message of eternal significance. Today's text, beloved, is a case in point. At first sight, it appears like a story about some kings engaged in a battle to subject another nation. What else is new? The Old Testament is filled with numerous stories like this. There doesn't seem to be a connection with us today. Well, it's a challenge, all right. What we see is a strong army composed of the men of Israel, Judah, and Edom. King Jehoram is the leader and organizer. He is king of Samaria, king of Israel, of the ten tribes that separated themselves from the people of God during the days of King Jeroboam. They have allied their forces to battle the army of Moab, which for the longest time had been a vassal state to Israel. That was during the kingship of Ahab, Jehoram's father, who had subdued Moab and taxed them to pay thousands of sheep every year. After Ahab's death, however, and during the time of transition, first to King Ahaziah, of whom we heard in chapter 1, and then to Jehoram, Mesha, the king of Moab, reneged of his payments. Jehoram did not have time to enforce his demands anyway. Those are the facts, brothers and sisters. And indeed, they sound familiar. Just another battle. There are some details, however, that make this event very peculiar. First of all, there is the fact that Jehoram, king of the ten tribes, wages war together with King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, king at Jerusalem. There are some remarkable differences between these two kings, who supposedly both serve the same God, Yahweh, Lord God of Israel. They appear to be doing so in a different way, though. They also apply their faith in the Lord in a very different manner. This results in the appearance of the prophet Elisha on the scene. He is the successor of Elijah, the prophet who played a major role in the life of Jehoram's father, King Ahab. Indirectly, he reminds the king of that time. He does so to expose King Jehoram's life, his heart. Indeed, Elisha as prophet of the Lord, exposes Jehoram of his self-designed service of the Lord and of the evidence of this in his life. Well, that exposure, beloved, holds an important message for us today. Hence, I proclaim, the prophet of the Lord exposes Jehoram's self-designed religion, which shows, first of all, in the way he sets his priorities... 
Secondly, in the way he handles his problems. And thirdly, in the way he fulfills Elisha's prophecy. So that's how I would like <clears throat> to summarize the message of our text. <clears throat> the prophet of the Lord exposes Jehoram's self-designed religion, which shows in the way he sets his priorities, in the way he handles his problems, and thirdly, in the way he fulfills Elisha's prophecy. <clears throat> so first of all, Jehoram's self-designed religion shows in the way he sets his priorities. Two kings, three brothers and sisters starts out with the statement that Jehoram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel. Then right away, the historiographer gives a negative account about King Jehoram. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That seems like a rather negative assessment, especially when you read immediately following the information, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. At least he learned that lesson from the history of his father and mother, Ahab and Jezebel. That was an act of reformation indeed, but still evil. Yes, beloved. Of course, we may not discard such an important religious act. It could have been the beginning of a full-fledged reformation. It may have been evidence of the effects of the prophetic word of the prophet Elijah, of his carmel appeal, for instance, especially in the context of the battle to subdue Moab, this could have been a first step on the way to the return of the days of King David. For David was the first to subdue Moab. For David, that was the first of battles that he fought in the Lord. In David's days, this was the first step on the road to establishing the kingdom of God. What greater work of reformation, therefore, than to return to David's days, to David's spirit and David's pursuit. Hence, engaging in this battle with the king of Judah even, this could have been the first step on the way to the restoration of the service to the Lord in Jerusalem. Alas, it wasn't, beloved. <clears throat> That's why King Jehoram's reign receives this negative assessment. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like what? He clung to the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from it. As you may know, King Je Jer Jeroboam was the king who had broken with the worship of the Lord in Jerusalem. Oh, sure, he wanted to serve the Lord, but not at the place the Lord had chosen to put his name there. He wanted to serve the Lord, but not under the kingship of the beloved of the Lord, the anointed of the Lord, in the house of David. Jeroboam designed his own way, chose his own places, Dan and Bethel, 
Yes, Jeroboam forbade his subjects to go to Jerusalem to serve the Lord there. Jeroboam did not have a clue, really, of what the Lord requires from his people. Jeroboam thought that it was just a matter of making some sacrifices dedicated to the Lord. The Lord, however, wanted his service in Jerusalem, in the presence of the house of David. The Lord was working toward the greatest sacrifice of the Lamb, the son of David, who would make this sacrifice obediently in Jerusalem. Jeroboam did not care about that. He was concerned about his own kingship, his own power and glory only. Well, so was Jehoram. King Jehoram, beloved, shows his awareness of the Lord's will for the people of the Lord, moving away as he does the Baal practices of his father Ahab. He learned his lesson from the trouble Ahab encountered due to his disobedience to the Lord. Jehoram must have learned his lesson from the prophet Elijah, showing his father that the Lord is king in Israel. And he remains king. Anyone who shoves him to the side and puts himself in the Lord's place gets the Lord against him. Ultimately, Ahab's disobedience led to his death. Hence, Jehoram seems to be seeking and choosing life when he removes the Baal service. Or does he? He does not seek life. For political purposes, yes, for selfish reasons, Jehoram pursued Jeroboam's policy of maintaining his self-designed worship in Dan and Bethel. That's not just a political choice. It's a the spiritual decision. He makes it, though, in the sight of what just recently happened in Bethel. He chooses for his own purposes in defiance of the recent tragedy that happened to the 42 young people in Bethel, that is, to the whole town of Bethel. In Bethel, the mockery against the faithful prophet Elijah had shifted to his successor, Elisha. In Bethel, a confrontation had taken place of a seriousness equal to or greater than the confrontation of Elijah at Mount Carmel. In Bethel, the Lord had placed his people again before the choice. Who is God? Indeed, the God who responds with the bears. He is God. Now, King Jehoram must have heard about it. In fact, from Bethel, the prophet Elisha had continued Elijah's track in reverse. Via Carmel to Samaria, King Jehoram's residence. King Jehoram found out that there is a new prophet in Israel, a prophet who does not just remind him of the Mount Carmel confrontation, but who also exposes Bethel as the cause of God's wrath. 
Bethel was evil in the Lord's sight. King Jehoram maintained the self-designed worship in Bethel and so must be judged as a king who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord's service was in Jerusalem. The true church at that time was in Jerusalem. On the outside, perhaps, he looks like a religious man who is willing to take some reformational measures, yet he is motivated not by piety, by devotion to the Lord, but by his personal interests. Well, brothers and sisters, is not this the lesson we have to learn, the message that we have to take to heart? How do we assess religious practices? From God's point of view or by our own standards? The way they are in God's sight or by the impression they make upon us? How much self-designed religion do we not observe in our time? And woe if anyone dares to say something negative about it. So calling it unfaithful or false or even evil. Let's not suffice though with looking to the outside. What about us? Isn't this one of our pitfalls? As long as we reform our lives in some ways, in some areas... We don't have to be too concerned at other. You know, in the sense of, as long as I serve the Lord on Sundays, one time is enough, then I can afford doing my own thing during the week. There are people who do their best in some aspects of their life to listen to the Lord, while in other ways they do their own thing for their own purposes, according to their personal views and interests. God should not bother them about that, though, for they are doing so much already that is according to his will. Like in the programs they watch, the places they frequent, the alcohol they consume. There are those who can say all sorts of beautiful things about the love of God, the grace of God, and their own strong faith. Yet they can't stand the sight of certain members in the church. They hate certain practices of the congregation. And they walk around with grudges, chips on their shoulder or what have you. Yet, the grace of God in Jesus Christ and the power of the cross for the salvation of our whole life, that's what it is all about. As we will also see in our second point, Jehoram's self-designed religion shows in the way he handles his problems. So we are called, beloved, to break with a lifestyle in which we keep the Lord at hand for special situations and emergency cases, a service in which we could be fooling ourselves about the Lord's assessment of it. For that's then also the difference between King Jehoram of the ten tribes and King Jehoshaphat of the two tribes of Judah. 
That's why it remains somewhat strange to see an alliance between the two. Still, that's the way it is. Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom together are united in their approach to Moab. Must have been an impressive army with a challenging strategy. Jehoram leads them in a maneuver by moving to Moab in a roundabout way. Via a detour, they go through the wilderness in order to strike Moab at its weakest spot. There's only one problem, though. The trip takes a bit longer than planned. Well, perhaps the dry season started a bit earlier than anticipated. And that's not just coincidence. It clearly is the Lord's intervention in the endeavor so that he could pursue his own purposes. Anyway, after a week, they appear to be running out of water for the men and the animals. Well, even today, as we know from the accounts of the situation in Syria, there is a serious problem in such an area. Hence, their mighty army is at risk of succumbing to the lack of water. Then we see Jehoram and Jehoshaphat react to this problem in a remarkably different way. And King Jehoram responds in a fatalistic way by saying, Alas, has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? That's how it is, most likely. That's what you've got with the Lord It's God's will, and that's why we are finished, done. Jehoram's reaction may seem a pious one. He may seem to resign to the fact that if the Lord is against you, there's nothing you can do about it. However, does Jehoram give a proper account of the affair? The Lord did not call them together. Jehoram did. The kings did. The Lord did not even come into the picture prior to the campaign. No one consulted with him. That's not Jehoram's style. That doesn't fit in the style of the self-designed religion. That's never been the approach with his father or grandfather either. Now, however, Jehoram blames the Lord for the debacle. Now Jehoram resigns to, his, to this fact fatalistically and doesn't even want to go ahead anymore. I guess if the Lord has planned it this way, there's nothing you can do about it. Do you recognize this reaction, beloved? You know, quite regularly, I meet people who just blame the Lord for the problems they encounter in their life. It can sound so pious. Yet in the meantime, they started out without the Lord, planned according to their own will, yet when it doesn't work out, they even blame the Lord for the failure of the enterprise too. The result is that they become embittered about the Lord and they are no longer open for his will and his way in their life. Let's listen carefully, beloved, 
For it might even be the way you are dealing with the problems and difficulties in your life. Perhaps you are blaming the Lord for the troubles you caused yourself, and your faith gets a blow in the course of it. It might make you passive or paralyzed ever to do anything in your life. The Lord does not bless it anyway if he doesn't want to. There's another reaction possible yet, beloved. God's word also reports what King Jehoshaphat said. After the bitter reactions of King Jehoram, he makes the suggestion precisely now to consult with the Lord. Now that the problems are so great, now Jehoshaphat makes the suggestion to consult with a prophet. That means that precisely at this difficult time, he wants to seek the Lord, seek his judgment in this situation. He does not lose his confidence and trust in the Lord because of the difficult circumstances. He continues to see the Lord as his heavenly father with whom he finds shelter in the midst of the storms of life. That's a totally different reaction to the problems of life. Of course, Jehoshaphat must have had his questions too. He knows that faith is not always a guarantee for success. Right through the problems and troubles, however, he knows that he can go to the Lord with his questions and problems always. Yes, better even, especially when we meet with troubles and hardships on our path, we must cry to the Lord, reach for his helping hand. He wants us to find shelter and refuge with him. Two reactions to the same problem, beloved. And what a difference indeed. That it appears that Jehoshaphat's reaction convinces King Jehoram and he persuades him to seek for a prophet. That's when Elisha appears on the scene. The kings ask him for advice in their battle with Moab. That's when the prophet of the Lord prophesied what the Lord's problem is. Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother, Elisha responds. Those are the prophets that belong to the self-designed religion of King Jehoram. They are the ones whose prophecies seek to please the king, seek to promote the kingdom of Israel, just as the king prioritizes who are not interested in the will or truth of the Lord. That's typical for design, self-designed religion. It wants to hear what the people prefer. It tickles the ears of the worshiper. Now, why does Elisha refer King Jehoram to those prophets? Because it's for those purposes that the whole endeavor was started in the first place. Not as battle for the Lord, not for the pursuit of the kingdom of heaven, but for Jehoram's sake, for his purposes. That's how Elisha exposes the pious king Jehoram. 
That's why Elisha does not comply with the request for advice for Jehoram's sake, but only for Jehoshaphat's sake. For he is the man of the house of David, the king of Jerusalem, the king of the kingdom of God, and he still lives in responsiveness with the Lord. And so we come to our third point, Jehoram's self-designed religion shows in the way he fulfills Elisha's prophecy. We don't know, brothers and sisters, why Elisha asked for a harpist. Was he so upset with King Jehoram's mentality that he needed the soothing music of the harp to calm him? Or did he need it as means to settle down and become receptive to the word of the Lord? Whatever the answer may be, as Elisha was restful and prepared in his mind because of the music, God spoke to him. He does not fall into a trance. Rather, he speaks the word which he has heard with boldness and conviction. All the words he speaks in the verses 16 through 19 are prophecy of the Lord. There will be water which will fill the ditches that the men have to dig. It will be a miracle from the Lord. The Lord will also give the Moabites into the hands of the allied forces. Yes, then Elisha also prophesies what will happen next. You will attack every fortified city and every choice city. You will fall, fall down you will fell every good tree, stop up all the springs of water, ruin every good piece of land with stones. It's in this last verse, beloved, that a problem arises which has puzzled many a commentator. For the words in verse 19 are contrary to the law of the Lord in Deuteronomy 20. Some commentators allege, therefore, that in verse 19, Elisha added his own conclusion. Others explain these words as Elisha's personal opinion, so that some even go so far as to allege false prophecy to Elisha. What Elisha is doing, however, is prophesying to King Jehoram what is about to happen. Then he tells these kings that their water problem will be solved, and how. And in the name of the Lord, he tells them that they will obtain the victory over Moab. Yet, then Elisha, as prophet of the Lord, also tells Jehoram in what manner he will execute this prophecy of the Lord. You will go at the Moabites in blind anger, destroying land and life. The people, the land, the trees, everything you will destroy. That is in total defiance to the law of the Lord. You will go at the task at hand like a madman. And that's indeed what happened, beloved. Yes, the way... He fulfilled this prophecy in his self-designed way 
is so devastating that the king of Moab, in reaction, resorts to the sacrifice of his son on the wall of the city. That's what self-designed religion leads to. That's how Elisha exposes the king to his false religion. It leads to a total decay. The corruption of the best is the worst. That's what Jehoram has to learn, looking in the mirror of the word of the Lord. That's what we have to see and recognize today, looking in the mirror of the word of God and seeing what is happening in the Western world that has strayed from the word and will of the Lord and that's making up its own religious standards and principles of life. That's the prophecy Elisha holds up to Jehoram and to us. The Lord knows the hearts and his prophets bring the truth to light. That's not Elisha's personal opinion, but the way prophecy works. Then Elisha is not giving Jehoram an advice together with his personal approval here, how he should go about it, which would be false prophecy indeed. No, Elisha is showing how it will actually be executed, which in reality did happen. Hence, it is true prophecy. It's the way the Lord Jesus spoke to Judas. What you are about to do, do it quickly. Indeed, beloved, Jehoram isn't David. Jehoram's approach is not David's approach. David fought the battles of the Lord also against Moab, and the Lord blessed him. He promoted the kingdom of God, and he did so according to the will of the Lord, which means that he preserved God's creation or restored it, meanwhile destroying what is sinful. That's the principle of Deuteronomy 20. For the people have sinned, not the trees or the fields. That's the style of David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to do the will of his heavenly father in his battle against sin and the evil one. That's the way of the true worship of the Lord in obedience to his will by the proclamation of the truth and through the sacrifice of God's son on the cross. Then we need to look in the mirror of God's word to see our sins to repent from our hypocrisies and self-designed religious practices. We need to find refuge with the Lord and serve him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Let us respond by turning to Psalm 11b. The Lord is my refuge. How then can you say, O flee like a bird to your mountain away? The godless take aim with their bow.